0: You're listening to Twitch Asylum Video
1: Game Radio.
0: Welcome to Twitch Asylum episode 10. We're finally in double digits. It's yep. episode 10. Did you ever think when we started this podcast we'd get to episode 10? I don't know, but I remember telling Chris in early <laughs> episodes, like, it'll take at least 10 shows before we get to know what we're doing and we can really look back on the show and, and decide what to do next. So I guess now it's official, Chris Chris can judge the show. No, no. I guess,
2: and that's why you don't ever believe anything Tom says, because it never comes true. I thought thought I'd
3: kill all you guys long before we got to episode 10.
4: Just saying. We're
3: still here. (laughs) Barely. I
2: know. I was wrong. So uh, one thing we want to talk about this time is, uh, and we usually do this at the end of the show, we say, you know, we'd like you guys to go to Yahoo and to iTunes and provide feedback. Well, um... I don't know if somebody listened to the whole show and didn't like it or whatever, but we got some negative feedback on oh, Yahoo. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, but at, well, at least it was feedback. They didn't what didn't the instructions. I always say positive. Did they feedback. say a
0: comment or did they just us down? No,
2: there's no comment. It's just the the score like rating thing went down. So I guess the thing is, you know. Uh, if you guys could please go on and give us positive feedback. Or at
0: least say why we're bad.
2: Right. And it's really easy to do, in fact. All you have to do, <laughs> is, it's easy to do. <laughs> is go to twitchasylum.com, click on podcast, and there's a link there for both Yahoo and iTunes. If you click on those, it'll take you right there. You can provide feedback uh, on the show. Of course, give us positive feedback, please. It'd be great. If you guys would do that, uh, we'd really appreciate it. So, uh, sort of, uh, what else are we doing today?
0: Well, we got two main topics. The first is, is PC gaming dying? Is it dying?
2: Yeah, that's a topic.
0: That's what we'll find out. And the second topic is the history of Laserdisc games. Remember these back from the 80s? Dragon's Lair especially? Space
2: Ace. Space Ace. Ace Cliffhanger. Yeah. yeah, there's So we'll a whole be talking bunch. about all those. So that's and, our history segment. And this is a pretty uh, big episode. Do you know why that is?
0: We got some special guests who are listeners who are coming on the show to talk about what they're playing.
2: Right. Well, it, one listener is going to come <laughs> on and talk about what he's
0: playing, but... Okay, one listener.
2: Achilles is coming on, a member of the forum, form, And uh, he uh, he posted and he said he wanted to come on the show and talk about what he's currently playing, so we're going to hook up with him tonight and have him on the podcast. Well, it's going to be a long show, so why don't we get it started?
0: Let's go. Woo-hoo! Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, it's time for the discussion. What are we talking about today, Tom? The topic is, is PC gaming dying?
3: Deader than a doornail.
1: No, it's not. (laughs) I'm
0: not dead yet. All right, so there's
2: a lot of uh, discussion about this, even on our forums recently. There was a lot of people who talked about, you know, whether they thought PC gaming was dying. So I thought it was an interesting topic. So I went and searched the web, and of course, search for anything on the web, you're going to get hits. There's been a lot of articles about this recently.
0: For example, uh, (laughs) the executive editor, David Carnoy from CNET, Wrote an article where he said that, in talking about the PS3 and the Xbox 360, he said, quote, the real loser will be the PC. He goes on to say, the price-performance ratio, at least over the next couple of years, heavily favors the next-gen consoles. Console manufacturers heavily subsidize the new machines, swallowing huge losses up front in hopes they'll make it all back-selling games. Unlike the PC games, the console manufacturers get a royalty for each game sold on their respective systems. Right. Now, I think this is absolutely true. Uh, how can you resist getting the power of the Xbox 360 for a few hundred bucks compared to spending maybe thousands to get a state-of-the-art PC gaming system?
2: Right. It makes total sense. And the other thing is, he also states that um, people are more likely to go ahead and buy HD TVs you know, versus right. you know, upgrading their PC.
0: And are you going to buy an HDTV or are you going to buy like a really big monitor that you can only use for the computer? Right? You're right. probably going to buy the TV. So. Right. Yeah, it makes sense to me. There was also
2: uh, an article on Eurogamer TV with uh, an interview with Mark Rain. I guess he's from Epic Games. And he kind of bemoaned the difficulties facing PC gaming. And he thinks that um, one of the reasons is that PC gaming hasn't received really good support from U.S. retailers. Uh, I mean, what do you guys think about that?
0: Well, when I go into let's say, Target or, or any sort of mainstream store, I see these big, fancy displays that have the latest PlayStation and Xbox games in it. And then the display area for the PC games looks a little bit forlorn or something. It looks <laughs> yeah. like, you know, there's it's this shelf. Right it's right next shelf. to the CDs. It's usually, right, right next to the magazines yeah, or something. Right. It's kind of this ghettoized area ghettoized. of, like, you know, if you go over here, this is where the PC games are, yeah. and there's not that many titles. And it, it almost seems like there's less... PC titles on display than the video game. That might be an illusion of the way they have it laid out, but it seems like there's not a whole lot. No, I'm totally
2: with you on that. So,
0: yeah, I've I've totally noticed this.
2: And then also he goes on to say, and this is kind of funny. This is why I put it in. I think it's hilarious. He says that um, the problem is compounded by the advent of Intel graphics, integrated graphics in consumer laptops because they're incapable of playing the latest games.
0: Right. You can't easily swap out a new graphics card into your laptop, and more and more people are buying laptops, right? So you get your laptop... (laughs) You try it out with some uh, state-of-the-art game, you find it performance is terrible or n- not living up to your expectations, and that just makes the Xbox 360 or something like that look
3: even better. Uh, interesting side note: I think it's to me at least. I believe it's Alienware that sells laptops now. That they do. actually have two graphics. Owned by Dell, yeah. yeah, owned by Dell, but they have two graphics chips sets in place in it, and you can switch back and forth based on a keyboard, and one was either NTI, ATI or NVIDIA. It's a nice set that plays right. games, but it just sucks the battery life, but you flip uh, it and then it uses the Intel, and you can use that when you don't need the high-performance gaming. So at least some sense. of the laptop makers are trying to work around that in various ways, but that is a, an admission that the Intel chipset, even like the state-of-the-art ones, aren't up to playing modern games.
1: Now, I played, I got down Dawn of War not too long ago, and I played that on my laptop because it's the only thing I had at the time. I, it worked out just fine. Yeah. I well. guess it depends on
3: what games you want to play. I mean, if, I think if you got, like, the top-of-the-line Intel chipset now, it might play the games that are out right now moderately okay. But the thing is, any game that's out in three months, it won't be able to play. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not
1: playing first-person shooters because that's yeah, just not right. is probably where
3: you're going to yeah. really
2: see it. So another, uh, another guy in the biz, uh, Brian Sullivan, he's co-creator of Age of Empires. He was uh, interviewed by Sutra. He had an interesting take. He said that the biggest problem with PC gaming is World of Warcraft. Um, he thinks so because uh, it's so compelling that that people aren't playing anything else. So uh, a lot of PC gamers are ignoring all of the games besides uh, those MMOs. No, I
3: think that's interesting because I've seen that too, and I, I I'm willing to I, I bet that speculation's right. I've seen it around, and I could easily see that that World of Warcraft is dominating the game, cutting into sales of other games, so many things. But the thing is. I don't think that's a problem specific to PC gaming in terms of right now World of Warcraft's out is dominating the PC gaming market. Right. but I think with any domineering game, you could see that happen on other platforms. So I don't think that's inherent to Halo. the PC platform. Right. Well, yeah, but Halo didn't cut into other platforms. Either. I
0: think there's a difference though that it's to me it's not just that World of Warcraft is a good game, which it is. I used to play it, um, but it's also that it's a subscription-based service. And when you're paying a monthly fee for something, you think to yourself, I want to get my money's worth out of that compared to buying a new game that's just going to split my time
2: between those two right. things, right? and that's what a lot of people were saying. They're like, I have so heavily invested in this World of Warcraft thing, I'm going to keep playing it and buying all the add-ons and stuff right. rather than doing something completely different.
1: How much does it cost for World of Warcraft? Is it ten bucks a month, something like that, or um, twelve, maybe? I'm but thinking, don't you have yeah. to pay for upgrades and all that kind of
3: stuff? Not yet. They're going to do an expansion pack in Christmas, but that'll be the first one that's right. extra content that's not. I think. But that's so it's a
0: subscription mm-hmm. service. It also has, as Chris says, the the factor that you've invested a lot of time into building up your character, into getting you to know the world, into being able to have the ability to go into some of the higher level areas. And then you want to get something out of that. You don't want to start all over in a brand new game, right? So there's that. Also, just the fact that it's a persistent world, there's always something going on there that you might be missing out on if you're not
3: playing it. And see, for me, that's my guess is it's not even really the money, although that could be it. But it's more just the time. People are still people have been playing this for a long time. They spend all their time in it, and they're still using their time. Whereas any other uh, like non online, non uh, subscription based service, you play the game. There's a set amount of content, and then it's done. Um, But with this, it just goes on and on. Right. So. In addition to looking
2: at all these articles online, I I found a forum where they were discussing the topic, and and to me, a lot of the user uh, comments were almost better than the articles that I read. So here's (laughs) some of their quotes, and uh, you can read them too, Tom. Uh, The graphics card upgrade thing could be a bit of a turn-off for PC gaming, somebody said. I mean, Totally.
0: Yes, that's what drove me mostly away from PC gaming. It really drove me to the consoles is the fact that it seemed like every time I got a new game, it's like my graphics card wasn't good enough. My sound card wasn't good enough. I needed a new driver. There's always some reason why I couldn't just pop in the game and play it. And I love the console experience of just pop that thing in and play it. Right. Um, Another person was quoted as saying, as long as developers build games for high-end
2: systems, sales are going to suffer. Could be. I mean, this. for me, that's pretty much true, because when I play a game on the PC, I feel bad if I can't put it at the highest resolution, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, uh, you know, I want to upgrade my system, and it just gets to be such a hassle, you know, with the upgrade, because, and then I know that, like, other people are playing this game at a higher resolution, and I just, you know, <laughs> I get graphics envy, and, uh, and it's, it's Well, a I, you know, I
3: think they probably target the highest end just so that in six months, when everything is so much more powerful, their game doesn't look terrible. But, right. But at the same time, six months from now, no one remembers that game's out, and right. so no one but goes back to it.
2: I guess I look at it this way. When I was uh, growing up playing PC games, I was playing things like King's Quest and these kind of games. Did you ever think about your graphics card when you are playing King's Quest? No. I'm, maybe I'm not
3: playing at the highest resolution of King's Quest. There was God. only one resolution. Well, there was only one. Your yeah, if it
0: worked.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if it worked, I actually had it configured, <laughs> and, <I'd> never...
3: <laughs> and I had enough. No... I'll disagree. I say this has always been true, because I remember back in the day when... Just because you had you wanted CGA, to get, dude. Right. Well, you wanted to get that EGA
2: card, and <laughs> that, that was. Or, 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 like VGA. Yeah, or VGA, but was, I think it's yeah. different. I mean, once we got to VGA, like I think most of the games were fine. You know, it's when they go That's like,
3: true. for a long time, yeah. for
2: a while, it and they went 3D. 3D. I and think then, 3D is what kind of yeah. blew it off. All I'm saying is that on the PC, it seems like they're always trying to push the limits of 3D graphics technology yeah. and stuff because they want to be on the bleeding edge. There's yeah. not a lot of creative games being made that I, I guess are mainstream. There's a lot of homebrew games being made, but there's not. You don't see a lot of. Uh, risk-taking like you do on the consoles in well, the when, handhelds. You know? When
0: every game... Well, not every game, but when there's so many games that are just yet another first-person shooter, the only way it can stand out is with better graphics. If it, if it doesn't have some new gameplay element... And so there's another quote here, one of the user feedback quotes, that says, the biggest problem is the lack of originality in PC gaming. We don't need another... Um, Massive multiplayer online role-playing game or real, real-time real strategy game or, or right. first-person shooter, right?
2: I totally agree. I mean, I think... It, you, but there are a lot of creative people on PCs, but I guess they're not the mainstream
1: studios. You know, they're not well being pushed.
0: There are creative things, but maybe that's not the big A-list title that right, everybody's talking Right, that's what I mean. They're not being yeah. pushed.
1: And, and you did mention... I think you mentioned just a second ago that uh, it takes a lot of uh, investment to get one of these games out. The, the amount of artists you have to have in graphic arts and, and, and yeah. to build it all out, that takes... But, it's a risk to put something out,
3: but that's true on all the platforms and PCs. Right. I mean, that's not really specific to one. Uh, just a minute ago, we were talking the, the, about this hardware race on the PCs, but uh, really, I don't think that's isolated to PCs. I mean, for example, we were talking earlier the new plat- consoles. You really want an HD TV to be able to play those the best. And I got to say, if it wasn't for my significant other, if it, you know, if I wasn't trying to impress the ladies, I'd probably still have a twelve inch, <laughs> you know, tube TV, uh, whereas I probably have the thirty inch flat screen monitor for my computer. So I, I would have the far better equipment on the computer, and it'd be like, if I wanted to play these so new games, I'd have to buy new equipment. So you're saying that pressure
0: to, to kind of pimp up your system to impress the girls? I don't Is know. I, I use my home
2: entertainment
3: <laughs>
0: center for a
2: lot more
3: than just playing games. I watch movies and all kinds of stuff. See, aren't? that's the thing. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. And that's, and I wouldn't have that stuff right. just if it was just me. And so I think that a lot of people might be in the same boat. They have really good equipment for the computer. They don't have that for their TV system, so they'd they'd have to go out huh. and buy that to play the console.
0: Well, here, let me read a couple quotes that are sort of on the other side of the issue. This, more user feedback quotes. One says, PC games are cheaper, so that absorbs the cost of a new video card over time. Well, I mean, that's kind of true right now,
2: How right? How much cheaper are they, Well, though?
0: they're
2: not $60. That's true. They're
1: close. They're
2: $50. They're, yeah. yeah, but I, it's $10. Each <laughs> game you buy, $10. <laughs> if you add that up, uh, right.
0: Eventually, yeah. I, I yeah. think that's kind of a strange... Argument, but I they mean, were
2: actually saying a lot of the games go on sale, you know, twenty nine ninety nine, thirty nine ninety nine, relatively quickly. Okay, versus yeah. the consoles mm-hmm. where they keep a higher be. price
1: point, point. and that all. is true
3: because mm-hmm. I'll see games in, within like two or three months go down to thirty yeah. bucks,
1: and I see you know on the used market on eBay or whatever, right. they they're cheap. So another one,
2: a quote that I kind of thought was interesting is a lot of people, you know, one reason they say that PC gaming, you know, will never die is because there's a mouse and keyboard. Yeah, I agree you know? with that. Right.
0: Okay, I agree with that. But you could put a USB mouse and keyboard on Xbox okay, 360. Right,
2: but how many games on the Xbox 360 require a controller that you can't play on the PC?
0: All of them? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm saying. No, what I'm
2: saying is there's a lot of games that use the controller of the yeah. Xbox 360 So I'm saying, yes, there are certain games that may play better on the PC, but there's a lot of games on the console that probably don't work real well on the PC because you don't have a uniform joystick out there that people are using.
1: That's true. That's true. Well,
3: but it, even though the Xbox takes a keyboard, I don't want to sit on the couch and like have this keyboard attachment that I'm trying to hit with well, one hand. Well, then you need
0: a wireless keyboard. It, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's,
3: it's not the wires. It's the, it's the format, having this thing sit on a I need the keyboard at a de- on a surface, <laughs> yeah. on a See, desk. See, for okay. me,
2: like, when I, the last game I've really played on the PC a lot was Half-Life, and I really struggled because I was so used to playing console games to sit in front of my monitor at my desk and play that game. It just didn't feel right. I'm so yeah. used to being having a bigger TV, it's a better sound to. system, sitting on my couch, you know, flipping between T V and the game when I get bored and see so at the PC was kind of a chore for me. I sit at a PC all day, maybe that's a
0: reason. <laughs> well here's a quote was this you, Chris, that wrote this? I've never really enjoyed gaming on my PC. I like to sit in my comfy chair in front of a large T V and kick back while I play a game. No, that wasn't me but I, I totally agree with but that. But it could have been you. It could have been me, yes. Okay, well, there's one thing not mentioned here that I think is really important, at least it's important to me, which is that you can easily rent games for consoles and you can't rent games for the PC. We used to be able to rent games for the PC. A long time ago, that was they, true. They don't have those anymore? Well, they passed a law that made it illegal to rent games for the PC. Yeah, you can see how really? long it's
2: been since I... Uh, I yeah. used to work at a rental store for yeah, PC Yeah, there games. used
0: to be a few rental stores. When I was, like, 18. <laughs> I think the idea is that... Um, they were worried that PC games are easier to copy, and, you know, if you rent an Xbox game, it comes on a disc, yeah, if you really had the hardware and you knew what you're doing, you could copy it. Right. But the, the casual player is less likely to copy, but with PC games, they were more worried about piracy.
2: Right. That makes sense. So... I guess you know we, we read a lot of what people said, all these articles. But what are kind of our opinions? Is PC gaming dying, or is it on decline? Or, and do we think it's going to ever recover? Or do you think it's going to be a, a big market? What do you guys think? It'll never die. It'll never I'll, die. I'll but be, always be out there. Do ready. you think it'll decrease in popularity?
3: Yeah. I think as a percentage of the market, the consoles are gonna are still growing and they'll eat into it. I don't think it'll go away completely. And I do think that the World of Warcraft phenomenon is really suppressing it at the moment but I don't think that's a permanent effect. Yeah, that can only last so long.
4: Well,
3: I mean, I used to be
2: a PC gamer, like an avid PC gamer, and I switched to consoles, but I'm an obsessive config tweaker, and I'm, <laughs> I'm recovering from it. But like I
1: say, I
2: go to a game, and I'm playing it. I'm like, dude, I think I saw a little stutter. I, mean, I need a new <laughs> video card to, uh, to get
3: rid of that. <laughs> I just think there will always be a, a bit more room for creativity on the PC. Right. You don't. There will be room for the, the small uh, publishers who can't afford to get the license from Sony. Um, there's also things you can do with the keyboard and mouse. If people were to integrate, kind of like in the old Zork days, the whole uh, parsing of full text if a game right. came out like that. And it's just not something that I see happening on the console. I see less creativity. Right. The but the thing
2: world. I would say about the console, though, is a lot of the consoles now are going to have a built-in distribution system. Whereas on the PC, you have to go to these third parties, and there's multiple third parties where you have to build your own infrastructure. So it almost seems to me that they're kind of going the way. If you look at like Cloning Clyde and a couple of those games that recently got released on the 360, it seems like they're kind of moving the direction to make that distribution easier.
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, it could work both but all ways, all you got to do is download on a PC.
2: Somebody I mean, just maybe.
0: starting out could just upload the game to their own personal website, and poof, it's on the internet. People can download it. They don't have to go through any sort of... You know, There's bureaucratic no process yeah. of like someone approving their but game. Then you got to
2: figure out how you want to protect it and all this kind of stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I'm just saying you have, have to always build route. those kind of infrastructures.
3: Yeah, I do think the consoles make a lot of these things so smooth, and that's part of why that's I do what I'm think saying. they'll be growing in the percentage of market share because they do make a lot of things simple. I just don't see the PC going on. I mean, I'll always prefer a PC.
2: There's always going to be hardcore PC gamers. I mean, the PC gamers are, are, are avid, right? But I just say for the you people betcha. that are on the borderline, mm-hmm. like, you know, they, PC or consoles, I think more of them are going to be pushed to the, the console side. And I think that's where you're seeing a lot of more development dollars going right now. And especially, here's the other thing I would say, is the last generation of consoles were a lot closer to PCs and the 360, I think, is still pretty close to a PC game. You know, it's got DirectX or whatever, I think. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I know the PS3 is completely different. So it's going to be harder to do ports from PCs to consoles and vice versa. So I think you're going to see a lot more exclusivity on the,
1: on the console side. Mm. at okay, me. <laughs> 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 I agree. I, I agree, but I, I, there are some games that will never go to the console. Like, like what, like, Dave? Like, I'm just curious. Like StarCraft. Is there, or is there any real time? Uh,
2: in fact, yeah, the Lord of the Rings, the recent one, is a uh, RTS. Is it? just was it any good though? It's is got it a fun? pretty good uh, review in EGM, and a lot of people seem to be liking it. I don't trust <laughs>
3: other people's opinions. <laughs> well, well they trying to spout my but own.
2: I would say that what I have heard about it is that the control scheme is a bit complex. Have you played it at all, Tom? I haven't played it yet. Yeah, and that's, but, that's
0: the whole mouse
1: keyboard.
2: But, but apparently, they came up with a new way of doing it on the uh-huh. controllers. It's supposed to be pretty good. Now, I haven't played it, so I don't. I don't what know. What they
0: need is an HD TV with a touchscreen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you could have the Nintendo DS experience yeah. on the big screen. That'd be great. Except you have to have a really long stick to reach right. out from your couch and touch the screen with. <laughs> All right. So, so Tom and I think uh,
2: PC gaming's dying. It looks like Dave and Woody are uh, on the well, other side. Well, we're holding things. out. So
0: <laughs> it's, PC it's Gaming a tie will never die. two to two. So if you want to break the tie, come to the forums and let us know what you think. Let us know what you think, yep. On to the next segment, which is... What we're
3: playing. Whatever we're doing next. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Alright, it's time for what we're currently playing, and uh, we have a special guest tonight. want we'll to talk about that, Tom.
0: Yeah, we got Jason here from the forums. How you doing, Jason? I'm doing pretty good. Alright, well, welcome to the show. Uh, we're going to start out with Dave and what he's playing, and then uh, Woody, and then we're going to get
1: to you. So, Dave, what's up? Well, uh, as I mentioned last week, I've been playing Heroes of Might and Magic 5 still playing it still it's a pc it. game right it's a pc game of course i thought pc games were dead no yeah. no, no this one isn't oh, this okay one, it's and it's uh i'm getting into it getting a little bored of some things getting more into it i i uh i didn't read the, the manual so um i'm figuring out some things about the game that i wasn't i probably should have known from the start but so you're sort of button mashing uh, yeah <laughs> i'm i'm too impatient for manuals and uh yes it, or reading any documentation at work and uh <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true too um and uh i've been i i wanted to bring up um i was playing with Machi last week and spent a good three hours trying to hook up with a friend of mine up in uh, Vancouver trying to play some online games and uh it never worked all right well that sounds great yeah that's i mean thanks to p c gaming
0: yeah <laughs> that's exciting yeah.
3: how about you uh, two things. I've been trying to. I've been practicing my online or my flight simulator techniques so I can. You mean the helicopter yeah, that you can exactly. bomb people with. I've always exactly. wanted to know
1: what happened to your helicopters. You I never... still
3: have it. I'm trying to break it out this summer, but I'm still practicing in the simulator because I crash it often enough. I know it'd already be multi hundreds of dollars if I tried to actually fly the the real thing. Wow. So. I'm doing that. And then I also went out just a couple days ago, so I can't talk much about it yet, but I went out and bought the remake of Sid Meier's Pirates. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, and man. I'm enjoying that a lot. I lo- the first version was a game that I loved and played forever. Yeah, and it you play it on? Apple II, right? I the played PC. it on the Commodore 64. I've only ever had a PC. <laughs>
4: oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So I-
3: I'm enjoying it a lot. I'll probably have a lot more to talk about <laughs> in the next one. But it's basically, I mean, every feature that was there in the original is there again. Just they've dized it. Um, a lot of fun. Yeah. You know,
1: I never played Pirates.
3: It's a great, it's a great, great game. game. Yeah, yeah, it it is, is a good
0: game. All right, so Jason, why don't you tell
5: us about what you're playing? Um, so actually, right now, I'm currently playing uh, Star Wars Galaxies, which you guys managed to shoot down last week, thanks. Um, I'm still playing <laughs> that. that. <has> me. <laughs> well, since you've actually so played it, lot. <laughs> and we're just talking about
0: it, why don't you tell us uh, what you like about it?
5: Um, well, what I like about it mostly, uh, besides any other MMO, uh... It is like the, the human aspect of it. A lot of my friends play it—real-life friends. So it's kind of cool to to get on and and play to the wee hours of the morning and you know just hang out. Um, it's still just as buggy as any other MMO, maybe a little <laughs> bit more nowadays. But uh, and the Star Wars universe—you know—I I love Star Wars, so it's it's pretty cool to go in and, and reenact most of of what is in Star Wars, or to see a lot of the things that are that's in the Star Wars universe and the movies and stuff like that. You, know, you get games like Battlefront, Battlefront Two, where you you act out some of the the cool things from the Star Wars movies. But this this game, you can do almost all of them, and you know you get points for like going to the the place where the pod crashed with C two PO and R two D two and whatnot. So it's pretty cool. Oh, that, that sounds cool. good. Uh, now,
2: when the game first came out, there were tons of bugs, right? And I thought they issued like a couple patches for it, or they like redid it or something. It was supposed to be better. Is that is that not the case? Because you said it's still buggy.
5: Yeah. Well, when they released it, it was almost a, an incomplete game, I'd say. It felt rushed, and there were a lot of bugs, uh, but people stuck with it. And then last November, they released something called the NGE, which was pretty much LucasArts saying, hey, Sony, who, makes, you know, who's, who publishes now and who, who does all the work on it, they say, hey, you've got to make the game easier. People can't figure it out. So they made the game really easy, too easy, And uh, it really made a lot of people mad, and a lot of people quit the game to go to WoW or even to EverQuest. Um,
1: Yeah, I remember that. I remember that
5: shenanigans. (laughs) (laughs) You had a
1: lot of friends that played it too, right, Dave? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I think I know one or two people who played it. But so, did, did they,
0: what did they do after people left? Did they make it back a little more complex again, or what did they do?
5: Well, they're, they're actually right now, and I think they're doing this, like, they're trying to be sneaky about it and hoping LucasArts doesn't notice, but through a series of patches, they're kind of introducing the things that they had before that people really want back, and they do it gradually. Like, every six months, they'll release another little thing, and, you know, <laughs> it's making the game back to the way it was, but I, I think they're, they're trying to be a little sneaky about it. But uh,
1: It sounds like New
5: Coke. Old Coke.
1: <laughs> it does kind of sound like that, doesn't it? Huh. Yeah, yeah But it's still a
5: lot of fun to play, and it's still around. Even though I checked, I think, yesterday, and it's, uh, out of all the MMO players, I think it's got 1.4% of them, which is just oh, above my. Ultima Online, so.
0: Yeah, I saw a pie chart online that showed the, the relative, uh, distribution, and I think World of Warcraft had 52% of all MMO players.
3: Oh, man. I, so it's really huge. I have to say, I'm I, I, sure it's frustrating for the publishers, but I also think it's, probably, it's frustrating for me, too, is the fact that these MMOs are so interesting, but they're also so complex that it, I, I'm sure it often takes a long time to iron out all the issues when they first come out. But the thing is, everyone who liked it when it came out, it, um, when they change it, they leave. But all the people who didn't like the things that needed to be ironed out leave early and they never come back so it <laughs> doesn't really <laughs> so it takes time to get these games to where they really you know uh, should be but by that time they've lost all the people who w- who would have stuck around if they knew but it's just I, I don't know i don't know what they could do about that but i've always it's it's a sad thing it's I think. not a perfect world would i know, you know. I, I know well, in an earlier segment of the tester.
0: show, we were talking about um, PC-based uh, multiplayer games sort of taking away from people's desire to buy new games because you get so sucked into the MMO that you're just spending all your time with that. Um, Jason, do you find that that's true for you?
5: Uh, no, I don't think so. I still play some other games, or a lot of other games. I'm a big gamer, and in college, that's pretty much all you can do when there's nothing else <laughs> going on. <unless> you want <laughs> to it's I try to pass yeah, on me that. too.
2: So you play anything else besides... A
5: Um, yeah, I'm playing other games. I just played through, uh, Prey, which Uh I thought at at the beginning I thought was, uh, was pretty cool, and then they kind of took away from the, uh, you you, you know, you were in the bar and whatnot, and then it was just like, the bar disappears and you're off in this alien world, and it's all confusing and whatnot, and and I I got really discouraged with it for a long time, because it's a pretty long game for an FPS, I thought, that's not, you know, Half-Life 2-esque. But Really? You know, because
2: I mean, I heard that it wasn't that long, and then other people are saying it is longer. So I don't, I don't even know. I haven't played. I only played the demo, so I don't know. It is pretty long. Maybe not, about just how many felt hours? Was. Yeah, um, <laughs> it just
4: felt longer.
2: <laughs> about how many hours do you think it was?
5: Um, I don't. I maybe four, five, six. I, I really can't remember because the way the the game, I don't know if they it was on purpose or whatnot, but the beginning, the storyline is really interesting, it's there, and then the whole middle of the game, the storyline is so repetitive and pretty boring, so I I would stop playing, and then I'd go back to it, and I'd stop playing, go back to it, so it was over a course of, of, you know, days or weeks or whatever that I I played the game, and then when you get to the end, the storyline starts to catch up, and it gets really interesting again, Um, and I found myself playing until the wee hours in the morning, but, you know... Maybe it really wasn't that long. Maybe it just felt like it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I liked the beginning part of that game. I thought that was really cool. Uh, I was
1: pretty impressed with it when you when, yeah.
2: You tried I like going out. over the stereo and playing the music and uh, messing with the uh, arcade games, but <laughs> <laughs> it was downhill from there when I went on the the uh, alien spacecraft or whatever it was. But I
1: thought it was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that
5: was that was pretty much the best part of the game. <laughs> and they they kind of stick they stick parts of the uh, of the of that, of that that bar or whatnot. They stick it like. Throughout the levels, in random places, so it's like, oh, you'd like the bar? Well, here you can play an arcade game for five minutes, you know, while you're nice. trying to shoot something or whatever. Uh, what else am I playing? Lately, I've been playing the ship uh, quite a bit too. It's uh it's from on Steam. It's not it's not by Valve or any of that, but it's that's a lot of fun too.
0: What kind of a game is it? Tell us about it. I don't know much about it at all. I haven't even heard of it.
5: It's it's um it's kind of like a game we have. Well, we play it in college a little bit, it's called Assassin, where you've got a person that you have to kill secretly, and, and everybody else that plays has a person they have to kill secretly, and uh, you can't kill them in front of someone else, or in front of the police officers that roam around, or whatnot, or else you end up in jail, and, and you don't win, and what win and whatnot.
0: So it's a multiplayer online game, is that what it is?
5: Yeah, you can you could play it with bots, it's pretty boring though, because there's no one to talk to, but it's a lot of fun to play online, with, uh, with people you know especially, because in you, know, you get you get going pretty crazy, but uh. It's, it's so a is, it, is it a lot
3: and, like a stealth game, like Thief maybe?
5: You're just trying to take out other people. That well, you get one person per round, and you got to take them out. And if you take them out, you win. Oh, if cool. someone takes you out, you lose. Uh, but you can do things like change your clothes or change your hair or things like that, so people can't recognize you. Ah, uh, uh, that's they, great. So that's a
2: good idea. <laughs> is it PC based or is it console based? It's Valve. It's uh, distributed through Steam. Yep. So it's, is that, uh, <laughs> it's console based. PC. On it's PC. PC. Yeah. <laughs> you apparently didn't play like Half 19... Life Two, did you, Dave? Yeah. I'm just right. talking to Dave though.
5: It's uh, it's twenty dollars on Steam. I think nineteen ninety five or something like that. And uh, that's they they, they get that. pretty smart with it. They, uh, they, they prevent people from sitting around and camping in spots where they know no one can kill them by having the Sims-esque type of need system where you have to go to the bathroom every so often and you have to sleep <laughs> and things nice. like that. So.
4: That's good. Wow. So I'm cool. buying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So is there voice chat in that game? Is that how you talk to people?
5: Um, I don't I've actually never used the voice chat and I usually use something like uh team or Ventrilo or over, over the phone. I've never even tried it. Oh, yeah. Okay, know. yeah. So, when okay. uh, I else? picked up MLB 1 More I picked up uh, MLB Slugfest uh last week for Xbox and that Xbox, was an yeah. absolutely horrible and atrocious game.
2: <laughs> <laughs> how much how much did you pay for MLB Slugfest?
5: I, I actually uh, have a GameFly account, and it, it you know it took oh. a week to get here, and I was all excited, and it came, and I played it for twenty minutes, and stuck it back in the sleeve, and sent it back out.
0: <laughs> well, at least he didn't buy
5: it. That's at least great. it's yeah. just
2: GameFly. It. Yeah. So you have an Xbox yeah. and a PC then?
5: Yep, Xbox and uh, a whole bunch of PCs. No 360 yet. I'm still waiting to, to get one of those. If anybody's got one they want to yeah. donate, go ahead. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. which? So should we ask him PC to games are dying? Yeah, ask him. <laughs> Do you think
5: PC games are dying? No, I certainly don't think not. I think uh, a lot of what you get now are are ports of, you know, PC games, games developed for the PC and they're ported over to systems like the 360 or the PS3 eventually and whatnot. But I think you get better gameplay on PCs, at least I think so, because I grew up with PCs and you can't... You know, you'll never be able to replace a mouse and a keyboard that you get for a PC. And you'll never have <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. that's right. Oh. Oh. You're, so you're, you're never going to give up your PC? No, I'll never give up my PC. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I think the PC uh, faction has won this yeah. division. Yeah, that's 3-2 that's, that's now. All right, <laughs> <Desert> down.
4: <laughs>
0: All right, so what have you been playing, Tom? Well, uh, I've been playing a lot of Nintendo DS games Right, um, Metroid Prime Pinball is great. And it's a game that the more you play it, the more you appreciate it. Because at first, it just seems like every other pinball game. But it really has so much variety. Um, you know, it has all these different levels. It really feels kind of more like the Metroid video game, where there's areas where you can take damage and you have a health bar, even though you're the pinball. Right. And uh, there's places where you warp to different levels and there's, there's times when you, as the pinball, can sort of open up into your mechanoid Be form. Be pinball. And, yeah, and, and shoot. And so there's like a little shooting level in there. And it's just really nice. They've combined the gameplay of traditional pinball with things you can only do in a video game. Um, you know, there's a, there's a jungle level where it rains. It'll actually start raining on the pinball Sweet. play field. And there's mm. waterfalls. And it's just really cool. It's a very satisfying game. And I played it and played it. I finally got over $8 million the other day.
2: That's great. And, you, and you're competing with your friends on a high score that shared? or
0: uh, I suppose I could be because but... there is a wireless mode, but I haven't done that yet. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I, I was just being facetious, Tom. But...
0: Yeah, and then the <laughs> yeah. other game I'm playing is uh, Trauma Center.
2: Yeah, I tried Trauma DS. Center. I played that for about five minutes.
0: I really like
2: Trauma so Center, we... actually. Oh, go uh, ahead, Jason. Go back yeah. to the,
5: uh, the, the, the Metroid uh, pinball. Didn't uh, Sega do something like that a long time ago? with Sonic Spinball, like and didn't that tank? Sonic
0: Pinball, yeah. Yeah, there was a Sonic Pinball. Yeah. There was, that's right. So what makes this so much better than that? True. Uh, it's on a handheld, mainly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sonic Spinball was good, and it has the same It has the same sort of thing that you're the ball, and, and you can, you know, use some of your moves, like the dash and stuff from Sonic. But... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure it's way better than that. I think they're both good. I enjoyed them both. It's got the dual screens. Yeah, it's got That's the dual better. screens. That's <laughs> better. <laughs> All right, that makes no, uh, it. it... <laughs> okay, so back to Trauma Center. Um, this is a game where you're a doctor and you perform surgery using the touchscreen and using the stylus as your scalpel, and you right. have to give injections and, and a, you know make sutures, uh, make incisions. It's a really clever use of the touchscreen. It works really well. And one thing I like about this game a you lot... You like to
2: pull glass out and stuff. You have
0: to put, yeah, I pull out little, you know, people have uh, you know, broken glass, you have to pull it out and then sew them up. Um, what I love about this game, though, is it seems like we're always saying, and really every video game journalist keeps getting on this kick of like, well, everything's just a port... <laughs> Everything's a first-person shooter. Everything's a World War II game. There's no creativity. There's no innovation. Well, here it is. Trauma Center. This is a very innovative game that's like nothing else. Sounds like Operation. You get to, Well, <laughs> <laughs> Operation was very simplistic it's compared to It's a wacky doctor's game. Um, but it's like nothing else that you can get on a video game right now. And doesn't
1: controller, does it?
0: And it uses the touchscreen yeah, controller. Like a, whole you know, a
1: whole new interface. Yeah,
0: a whole new interface. I really like the creativity, and I think that if all of the... Video game journalists are going to keep insisting that the creativity has gone and all this stuff. Well, then they have, to, they have to praise a game like Trauma Center, and I think it really is cool. Is it the best game I've ever played? No, but it's really fun, and it's really different, and it's just taking things in a new direction. That's what I like about it. Yeah. Okay. Anything else, Tom? I rented from Gamefly Super Mario Kart DS. Yeah,
2: I've been playing that a little bit.
0: I like it. I like the retro tracks that you kind of remember from the. It's pretty much Mario Kart, though, right? But there's really nothing all that new about it. So the
2: wireless is cool, but
0: that's kind of another one where uh, I I was glad it was a Gamefly rental and that I didn't buy it. But it was kind of fun. And then, not really video game related, but I went to the Washougal Motocross Nationals yesterday. And took a bunch of cool f- pictures, and you can see them on my blog at ironmonkey.blogspot.com. That's an advertisement right during that's the a, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> What We're Playing is, Now segment. What the heck that, is that, yeah. dude? <laughs> Do
2: you squeeze that one in. All right, so yeah. uh, I can always edit it out, Tom.
0: Yeah, That's right, but please don't edit that out. <laughs>
2: All right, so what have I been playing? Uh, Well, I've been playing a lot of NCAA Football 2007, which I know that our listeners are going to hate, but uh, I'm sure they hate all the sports games. But uh, I rented the PSP version... And, uh, because, you know, I, I played the 360 demo and I was like, you know, uh, the the textures aren't there, you know, it didn't seem like it was that good for a 360 game. So I said, well, I'm going to play it on the PSP.
0: Because that'll have so much better textures. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: you know, I don't expect as much, right? So I figured it'd be kind of fun to play, you know, walk around, pause it, play, whatever. So, and, uh, and have you heard it? I mean, I, I think most other podcasts have talked about this, but there's a run bug in the game. Have you heard about this?
0: No, what's the run bug? So
2: like you're running and you get touched. And then, like, you go for an extra five yards, it, it marks you where you first got touched.
0: Oh, so, it's like, like bad refereeing. It's, it's horrible, dude. It's like the running Maybe game. your knee was down
2: and you no, didn't see it. No, no. It's like touch football. I'm, like, running along, get touched, and then I fall down five yards later, and it's like, you know, it's like fourth and one, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got six yards. And it's like, you didn't make
0: it. I'm like, why are you talking about it didn't make it? That sounds like a pretty serious bug for the
2: game to be released. So, apparently, they're going to fix it somehow, but at last check, they uh, they hadn't hadn't patched it. They can patch it. How do you patch
0: a PSP game, though? Memory card. Oh. Oh. Yeah.
2: So, I don't know. So, then I I, I did finish the whole season, and I, I passed most of the time. You know, I, I, all passing plays. And then I, and I was able to finish the season as Oregon State, and I won the championship. So I took it back, and you I go... won the
0: championship as Oregon State?
2: Yeah. Okay. Hey, well, I kept playing it until I won. I mean, <laughs> I didn't save it if I lost, Tom. It took me a while.
1: Just like real life.
2: Yeah. So I finished it, and uh, so I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and get the 360 version, because they added it in stock when I went back into the PSP version back. And you know what? The psp version had more features i think than the 360 version which was kind of sad yeah that's amazing and uh for example like the stadium oregon state stadium different it's like the 360 version has this kind of generic stadium that looks kind of like it but the psp version was much more accurate which is kind of odd
0: wow yeah so if you want all the detail and the best features you gotta bypass the 360 and go to the (laughs) psp so uh but the thing is and the textures you know like they're not that good like there's a
2: lot of uh you know, it doesn't look as good as last year's Madden. I don't know why. It's like they use a different engine or something. So, anyway, it, it's still fun to play, and I've been playing it. And what was kind of cool is I went and played online, and I found out that, like, everybody who likes NCAA football apparently bought a 360 last week because they're all online, and they all have, like, a gamer score of, like, 10 or 20 or something like that. But they <laughs> must have fun. played all the previous versions because I cannot win. Like, I'm getting blown <laughs> out every single game online. So all I'm doing is running the ball now So they don't get the ball that much on offense So it's lower scoring games And uh, I'm, only, I'm coming closer to winning The closer wow. I've come is I lost by 14 So
0: you think all these people bought a 360 just to play that game?
2: I think so because all their gamer uh, names are like you know Gator fan or Sooner fan or something <laughs> fan And I'm like dude, it's not fair And the other thing is I think I need to switch away from Oregon State Because they're horrible <laughs> I need to pick a better team I think that's a problem Maybe so, so. Besides that, I've been playing, I played Galaga, Galaga, or Galaga, if Tom Galaga is 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 my way of pronouncing it. Yeah, the wrong way. And I've been playing that (laughs) on Xbox Live, because I just... Exactly, Exactly. Galaga! (laughs) (laughs) It just came out on Xbox Live, and and Woody was saying that he loves Galaga, and he despises a Frogger. Yes. Last episode. Yeah. Correct. So I decided, well, I'm going to download it, the trial, and play it. It was kind of fun, so I decided to go ahead and buy it. It's like five bucks. And it's really good. I enjoy it because, uh, again, what's cool about Xbox Live is the high score tracking. Yeah. And a couple of of our listeners had pretty decent scores, so I had to go destroy them. So now (laughs) I'm I'm leading the leaderboard of Twitch Asylum on Galaga and and Geometry Wars. Oh, well,
0: I'm going to have to at least download it now and (laughs) just see if I can get anywhere close.
2: And what's kind of cool is that, um, unlike the arcade game, you can always continue at your highest level. So what's cool about oh, it is I've yeah. gotten to levels I was never able to get to in the arcade game. I think I'm on level like 42, wow. something like that. So, And it's very easy to get all the achievements. So if you want quick achievement points, <laughs> it's one to buy. Five bucks and it'll get you all the points. So, cool. I tried uh, Cloning Clyde, Xbox Live Arcade. Reminded me a lot of Exit on the PSP. I wasn't that impressed with it. I mean, it's okay game. It's not bad. But I figure I'll finish Exit on the PS- PSP uh, before playing Cloning Clyde on Xbox Live Arcade. And I'm playing a little bit of Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow on the DS, and uh, but I don't want to go into that because I want to focus on the next thing, which is I got a GameCube. All right. Yeah, I'm only about two or three years late on it. And, uh,
0: <laughs> but you got a great deal, didn't yeah. you?
2: I, uh, in the paper, they had a GameCube and Resident Evil 4 and Mario Kart for $15, so I went ahead and picked that up playing uh, Resident Evil 4 because I never got to play it. That's the main reason. I'm really reason I
0: glad it. to hear that you're finally playing Resident Evil 4 because yeah. it's such a great game.
2: Yeah, I'm only about five hours in, but I, I gotta say I love the game. And but the people that say the graphics are as good as three sixty graphics, uh, I, I don't I don't think so.
5: I bought a GameCube just to play that game.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it good is, for
5: you. It's a great game. It, I love that yeah. game.
2: It's but the visuals are not three sixty quality. I mean they look good. They look very good they though. They look good, but it's very grainy. It's kinda like almost uh, to me it was kind of like looking at like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, kind of the yeah. theme, you know, like kind of what it feels it like. It doesn't
0: really hurt the atmosphere, though. Because no, no, it's good. It's good. I, I
2: mean, <laughs> it's good. It's just that a lot of people are saying, oh, it's just as good as 360 graphics, and I, I don't think that's true. But the game is awesome. I love the sound of the chainsaw. Like the first time I heard it, I was like walking down the path. Oh, yeah. I turned around, and the guy took off my head. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool.
0: So. <laughs> I love the game. that game. That game, there are parts of the game that are actually scary. Like, if you're playing it late at night in a dark room by yourself, and it, there are
2: things in the game that are scary. It's great. Yeah. Well, Tom, you get scared at everything. So. <laughs> <laughs> I also borrowed uh, Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2 Rogue Leader from Will, you know, at your guys' work, and I've uh, been playing that a bit. It's a good game. I like it. You know, After the last episode, I wanted to give it a shot, and I like it. It's pretty fun. And the last thing I'm doing is I'm restoring, finally restoring my Centipede Cabaret arcade game that I got a while ago. So I had some side damage, so I stripped everything off of it, working on that, restoring it, fixed control panel, working on the trackball, and repairing the PCB. That's what cool. I'm currently working on.
0: Well, uh, Jason, any closing thoughts for us? We're about done with the segment, I think. None that I have. <laughs> <laughs> alright well that does it for what we're playing and uh, Jason thanks for joining thanks us thanks a lot for joining us and if the first you listener.
2: want to be on Twitch Asylum Video Game Radio just uh, go to the forums and uh, private message me or Tom or they, we're the only people that go on the forum because Woody never checks it out
1: <laughs> <laughs> Dave does too but he just, right. he just
2: calls Tom a dumbass whenever he's online <laughs> everyone's got a job <laughs> All right, welcome to the Retro Respect section. What are we talking about this time, Tom? This time is Laserdisc games. The history of Laserdisc games. What's a Laserdisc game? All right, we'll get to that in a second, oh, uh, Dave. But uh, before we get to it, I want a first credit where we got a lot of our information from this time. The dot dot com and the person who's responsible for that is Uma Guma. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Is that, is that right, Tom? That's his handle on the forums anyway. And I think also on his site. And we had talked to him, uh, sent him a couple messages, said, you know, can we use some of the information on your site? He said, go for it. And in fact, we're even going to have him on this segment, but at the last second, we weren't able to connect. So I think we're going to have a a segment before the next episode where we talk to uh, Uma Guma about his site, because it's a great site. You guys should go check it out. It's uh, the.eaters.com. There's a lot of information on classic video games there.
0: All right. So we're going to be talking about the history of Laserdisc games.
2: And so to answer Dave's question, what's a Laserdisc game, Tom?
0: Well, back before DVDs, people used to play <laughs> movies on these really, really big discs called Laser discs, and they were about the size of an LP record, but of course people What's don't a record, know what Tom? that is either. <laughs> so imagine something that's about the size of a, of a small to medium pizza, <laughs> <laughs> and it, except that it's a disc. It's, it's a CD. A, it's a digital disc. It's not editable. And, it's and, not recordable. It's not even edible. It's not edible. <laughs> it it's, has two sides. It's play only. It has two sides like those LP records, not like a pizza. Pizza has one side. And, um, <laughs> you know, basically at one time, this was the highest quality video image that you could get. Yeah, it was, so yeah, was kind of unique
3: about LaserDisc. Well, it's still the best format to get the original Star Wars trilogy on. That is true. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The only digital format. Yeah. Yes.
2: Well, the one thing that was interesting about LaserDiscs is the first time you really had random access available on right, media technology. True.
0: Because you couldn't have made a game very well out of a VCR tape, right?
2: Right. Well, it would have been hard. Actually, I had Pops Ghostly. You ever play that? No. It was a gun thing that you connect to your television set, and you'd play a VHS tape, and then you'd shoot, and it would have a little light sensor. So, yeah, you could, Tom.
0: But it wouldn't vary what images it was displaying. No, but I had a gun, Tom. Oh, well, as long as you have a gun, that's
3: really more important. So really, these games were a lot like choose-your-own-adventure movies. Some
2: of them were. It actually gets split into two different segments. Really? Yeah, and we'll get to that. So maybe you'll learn some of this time. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> Me neither. All right. So anyway, yeah, they're games that use laser disc technology, and you can think of that as like a DVD. So, Okay. So the first game we're going to talk about is the one that I really got into, and uh,
0: and this it, is the game I think of when I think of LaserDisc games. Obviously, it Dragons would be Lair. Time travel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Dragons Lair. And so uh, a bit of the
2: backstory on the people responsible for Dragons Lair. First of all, Rick Dyer, RDI Systems. He uh, ever since he was a kid, I guess he was into gadgets, and uh, he worked at Hughes Electronics. And when he was there, he made a, a prototype of an electronic horse
0: racing game. Tom. Was there a big demand for ho- electronic horse racing games back then? Apparently so. Apparently so. I do remember some electronic horse racing games, actually, that it were sort of like uh, you, could, you would bet on the horses, but they were, they were electronic in the sense that they were actually physical oh,
2: horses they had those ones that went around and around. Those wall ones. Yeah. Dude, I remember yeah, those. Yeah, do you remember
0: those? Yeah, the, I used to have those at Pizza
2: Place by. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, so is that the type of game? I'm not sure, Tom. All right. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> tangent. All right, so uh, apparently Mattel saw what he was working on, and they hired him. And he worked on many of the popular handheld games at Mattel. Do you remember the handheld games like the football? Yeah, the football, and the basketball, basketball, soccer, yeah. then with the
0: ones with the little blinking LEDs. Yeah, those, yeah, were...
2: those were really big when yeah, I was in school. I like those. He also worked on the Intellivision when he was at Mattel. And then after that, he uh, on the side, I guess, he, he developed AES. It was a system that used LCD screens on the back of airplane seats. So is it, he like one of the first people to, to kind of originate that or work on that? I don't know. That's hmm. what it said on the dot dot com. Cool. Then he moved to Coleco and he helped develop the arcade line of handheld games. Do you remember those, the little Frogger and Donkey Kong oh, games right. that looked yeah. like the arcade game but they were handheld games? Always wanted one of those, but I couldn't afford one.
3: I own those. You didn't? Are you serious? I did. They were like <laughs> they were like a, like about eight inches tall. Yeah, and they, they were the yeah. shape of an arcade game. And then there's little joystick. Did you have joystick. Frogger? I had Donkey Kong. Because you like Frogger
2: so
1: much.
3: Yeah, I don't think I had... I, I actually, I think I did have Frogger. I had Frogger. <laughs> That's what he Kong. hated it. Yeah. So, you still yeah, have I those ones he... I do not. Oh, I yeah, I wish. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: You had Donkey Kong and Frogger?
3: I think so, yeah. yeah. I remember I had yeah. two. It was a Pac-Man, too, right? Maybe I had that. I know I had two, now I can't remember which ones. Those were sweet, It was probably dude. Pac-Man and Frogger, I think. Yeah.
2: All right, so and I guess he worked a little bit on the ColecoVision when he was at Coleco. So, at that point, I guess he went on to uh, to start his own company, Advanced Microcomputer Systems. And he worked on a bunch of interactive movie ideas. Like, I don't know, did you ever rent the DVD? I think I brought it to work one time of Dragon's Lair. They showed him, he was using this, like, film strip technology to kind of make a game. Yeah. And I was, was like, that has nothing to do with arcade games. But now I understand because he worked on a lot of handheld games. So, maybe he was looking at building kind of a... Interactive movie in a handheld uh, form factor, right? Right. So he's using like cassette-based setup or film strip technology to try to build this thing, but then he saw that there's this like emerging laserdisc technology, and he said, "Well, you know, this is what I need to work with because what do you get? You got random access,
0: right? Huge step forward from film strips yeah. and uh, VHS.
2: So using that technology, uh, uh, Rick Dar he set out to make a game uh, which he called. Sh- How do you pronounce that, Tom? Shao Doan? I don't know. Shao
3: Doan? I don't Shadoan. know.
2: Anyway. Alright, it's a sword and sorcery epic based on Lord of the Rings books and the text adventure game... Adventure. adventure. Which we've talked about many times. So he's one of the key players. He's kind of the, the, the electronic side of, uh, of Dragon's Art. What about the other person involved?
0: Well, on the art side, we have Don Bluth. And uh, that's a name a lot of you probably know. But since he was very young, he knew he was going to be a cartoon artist. And right out of high school, he got hired at Disney at the Burbank Disney Studio. And he worked on Sleeping Beauty, you know, the classic animated feature. But he was an in-betweener. Right. What an in-betweener Betweener. is, is uh, <laughs> what they would do is they'd have... That's what they're called. They'd have the main artists draw the keyframes, And then yeah. they'd have, you know, somewhat lesser artists or less experienced the artists. The scrubs, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Would draw the frames in between the keyframes, And those people were the in-betweeners. So he wasn't really happy, he went back to school, and he ended up at the Animation House Filmation Studios working as a layout artist. And eventually he would become the head of the department. At that point he decided to head back to Disney, and he went from being an animator to director in three years.
2: Which is, I guess, that's uh, amazing.
0: Yeah, amazing career arc, and he worked on movies like Robin Hood, The Rescuers.
1: Rescuers is a good movie. Oh yeah. Robin Hood is better. Pete's Dragon. I like
0: Pete's
2: Dragon too. That was my
1: favorite movie of all time. So he Are you serious? Peace no. st- oh, <laughs> Peace.
4: Well, so he decided oh, to form
0: his own company because of Disney started moving away from the classic animation style that he liked. So uh, these guys, John Pomeroy and Gary Goldman, went to work with him at the new company, and they did a short film called Banjo the Woodpile Cat. And based on that, they received funding to do a feature film. And they decided to do a movie called *The Secret of Nim*, based on the novel by Robert O'Brien called *Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim*.
3: And do you guys remember this movie? I remember this I, pretty well. I consider this one of the greatest movies of all time. and a, that's the truth. This was I a great it. animated yeah. film.
0: Well, I was watching *ET* at the
2: time. Well, that was Rat, the thing is that *Rats of Nim* was better. The, *Secret uh, of Nim* was better. This Dude, year *ET* was better. In
0: 1982, *ET* came out. Of course, it was the huge blockbuster hit. And that's what people really remember from that year. And, and so their movie didn't get as much attention. e Which is too bad. E.T. Okay. So, and because I guess... Of that... Yeah, they didn't get funding for their
2: next film because that the Secret of Nim didn't do very good. I did like Secret of Nim, by the way. Yeah. Just want to make that clear.
0: So, Rick Dyer, at this point, approached Bluth and asked him about doing animation for a game for his new LaserDisc system. I guess at the point... At this point, I don't
2: think they knew it was an arcade game necessarily, right? It was just a LaserDisc game system.
0: You know, I don't think they knew it was going to be an arcade game. So they couldn't afford to pay Bluth and his company what they wanted, so they decided to set up a company and give Bluth one-third interest in it, and this company was called StarCon. Rick so Dyer had Dyer another Dyer had one-third, one third, yeah. Bluth had a third, and the arcade maker Cinematronics, who would eventually manufacture and market the game, had the final one-third. Right. So that's kind of the backstory of the people that were doing Dragon's are. So let's
2: kind of fast forward or maybe move ahead to 1982. Uh, in 1982, the arcade industry is making three times as much as the movie biz. Remember
3: we talked about this before, Woody? Yeah, but that's always fuzzy numbers because the movie biz always claims every movie loses money. So I still don't know <laughs> that that's true. But we'll go with what they with the the official word.
2: All right. So... Apparently, Sega previewed the first uh, Laserdisc game at AMOA in Chicago, I guess, which is an amusement kind of conference where they show different games back in the day. Well, I said back in the day. You Anyways, said back in the day. All right. All right. So, uh, yeah, they showed this uh, game called Astron Belt, and it used live footage that was rendered with a Laserdisc. But the player interacted by uh, controlling a computer-generated spaceship on screen. So, uh, so the
0: game was... The Laserdisc was just showing a background, basically.
2: Well, yeah, it was in a background. Yeah, we'll get to that game later and more of the details on it. But the point is that this was something they showed at an arcade show prior to Dragon's are being out. So it's kind of the first Laserdisc game, even if it wasn't the first one released north in North right. America. So Dyer and his team uh, know that this is you know where they need to put their game because they haven't seen like an arcade game with laser disc technology before they're working on this technology with laser it just makes sense that they should make an arcade game right
0: right and uh, they also thought that Sega was probably about two years away from perfecting the technology so at the same time uh, they've already started this project
2: Bluth is back and he's completing the animation for what is now being known as a dragon's lair uh, the story was a spin-off of the Sheodone. Thing, shadow one whatever victor penman Dar- uh darlene waddington and uh mary folger they i guess they changed the story to dragons, or they came up with it based on kind of the concept that uh, rick dyer had for that game so an interest- interesting side note is that uh, bluth they didn't have money to hire real actors so they used a playboy as material for determining like the body shape to use for the, for the- princess Daphne. <laughs> princess stephanie <laughs> so you can tell why she's so voluptuous now but uh And uh, I guess in Dragon's Lair there are like 800 decision points
0: in the storyline. Does that seem right? 800? That seems like a really high number. Um, I think it sounds right if you consider all the different ways you can go wrong at each point as well as the one way you do it right. And they had to have different... um, If you consider those all points... Right. So maybe you want to explain a little bit about the way the game is. Why would you have
2: 800 decision points? Well,
0: the way the game works is that you see an animated cartoon and at certain points in the game you have to make an input either with the joystick or by pressing a button and it's kind of like, you know, up, down, left, right, or the button, which is usually attacking with your sword and based on what you choose the laser disc will skip ahead to the next scene that shows what happens as the outcome of your decision so usually, for example, there'll be some sort of obstacle and, you know, if you jump to the left Let's say that works out. If you jump to the right, you get killed by something. If you, if you don't do anything, you get killed in some slightly different way. Um, a lot of it is navigating a sort of series of death traps in the castle in order to get to rescue the princess.
3: And you've got to do the move or the button in a precise time. It was a, it was a time thing, too. Right. So
0: a lot of the game is memorization, but you have to have some, some timing, too. There's a lot right. of precise yes. timing too. Exactly. It. And I guess that uh, in total, Dragon
2: Story is 27 minutes long, and it consists of 50,000 frame,
1: which each was an individual drawing. So yeah, so, so if you start the game and do it perfectly, it's going to take you 27 minutes to finish it. I don't think that's true. I, 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 I think, think it's 27 the, minutes of footage yeah, total. Okay. If yeah. you
3: did every possible move.
1: And every death
2: scene.
3: Every death scene, it'd be yeah, 27 yeah. minutes.
2: So I guess each second of on-time screen consumes uh, 23 hand-painted cells. Man, that's an insane. That's a lot of work.
0: That's animation for you.
1: Yeah. And those tweeners. Old days. Old school. Yeah, and
0: the game cycles randomly through a pool of 42 different rooms, so right. although there is a pattern to the game, it's not exactly the same every time you play. No, you, it's randomly. It just picks over. You have to know what to do. You can, after a while, learn what to do in a given room, though. Right. And a lot of times what's kind of confusing too is they'll reverse the room. Yeah, that so always you- that always screwed me up <laughs> because they'll do they'll mirror image flip the room and so you go into the room thinking you know the pattern and you're already like guessing which way you're going to do the joystick and then you realize too late that it's mirror image and it's the other way and you just jumped yeah. into the the off the cliff or something. Yep. To keep uh, costs down, they didn't
2: use voice actors either. Uh, The staff of Blue's uh, company produced the voices for the various characters in the game. In fact, Daphne is voiced by the cleanup animator that's part of Blue's staff, uh, Vera... Lanfer? Lanfer, yeah. Which is pretty interesting. So 1982, arcade games are rolling. They're working on uh, Dragon's Lair. Uh, They see uh, Astron Belt. They think, you know, we're going to make an arcade game. 1983 rolls
0: around, and what happens? Well, we start to get the collapse of the video game industry. Business is down 40%. It's estimated that half the arcades are going to close. And the arcades desperately need something new that can attract gamers back in. So on July 1st, 1983, after four years of development... That's a long time. (laughs) Dragon's Lair is released in the arcades. And it was known as the first marketed game to feature this Laserdisc technology. So, uh... Yeah, do you remember the first time you saw Dragon Slayer? Yeah, I do, and it was, it was stunning. It was like nothing you'd ever seen because, remember, back then the average quality of video game graphics was not that good. And so to suddenly get something where, that's you know lavishly hand-drawn just like you'd see in a feature film animation and have that reacting to what you did, it was amazing. It was a really yeah.
1: huge leap forward. I also seem to remember that Dragon's Lair was the first game that needed two quarters to run. That's true. I that's true. Yeah,
2: it's in the notes later, but yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 50 cents. But th- they said that that's offset by the cost of the game. You know, It costs more uh, uh, to purchase a game. So, But the thing about Dragon's Lair, the first time I saw it, I think I talked about this on a previous podcast. I was in Hawaii at the time and uh, went into the uh, international marketplace and there was a big crowd around, a bunch of machines, and it was like three Dragon's Lairs lined up in a row, and I was like, I was like, man, Hawaii has good games. <laughs> and uh, I was only like, I don't know, I was like 10 or 11 or something like that at the time. So uh, so it was it was pretty insane to see a game with that graphics. I, but, of course, I didn't know that it was very, uh, you know, choose-your-own-adventure-like at the time. I thought, wow, these are great graphics. We got back and kind of figured out that. but um, But it was an amazing thing when you first saw it when you compared it to things like Pac-Man at the time. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, so again, Cinematronics was marketing the game. But at the time, they were undergoing Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So they phased out some of their vector games, uh, Star Castle. Remember that one, wow. Starhawk. Um, yeah, which is sad because
2: I love the Cinematronics vector games.
0: Yeah, they were good. Star Castle was uh, one I really liked. Yeah, but they phased those out to concentrate on Dragon's Lair, and the units were really expensive. They're about four thousand yeah. dollars, which is twice what the typical arcade cabinet was cost at the time. So. This is why they went to the... What are you going to do? Are well, you going to charge twice as much to play it, right? So that's yeah. a, the dual quarter 50 yeah. cent game.
1: I was, it was a sticker shock for me. <laughs> sticker shock. <laughs> oh my god. I'll just watch someone else play it.
0: Yeah. So uh, despite the 50 cents and the somewhat reduced interactivity compared to other games, the game was an instant hit. And what's,
2: what's interesting too is that it may have cost $4,000... But on an average, a
0: DragonZar machine was bringing in about $1,400 a week. Well, one of the reasons, I think, is the game was so hard, especially yeah. when you were starting out, Love that you thing. would go through quarters really quick because you just wouldn't last very long before you died. That was my big problem. Sucked. It wasn't just that the game cost
3: 50 <laughs> cents. It was that, yeah, you died instantly. It, and yeah. it was, it was built to take your money. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Chris, had, Chris had a lot of
1: quarters when he was a kid.
2: I just watched other people and wrote down their moves and went home and memorized them, and then it came back. <laughs> that's all you had to do, right? So,
1: yeah,
3: for a crazy person, yeah.
2: So, yeah, I was, I still am. But anyway, it was the, so fourteen hundred dollars a week is about eighty times that of a conventional game at the time. Eighty times, so you can see why a lot of operators like this game, at least initially,
3: right?
0: Yeah, and in the first eight months, it grossed thirty-two million dollars worth of quarters. So is that a lot? It sounds like a lot to me.
3: <laughs> I believe that's 128 And quarter. 120 the game was attracting
0: quarters. so many people crowding around to watch other people play it that they started putting an additional TV up on top of the game so you could yeah. see it from farther away. And I, I told you this story before yeah. on the
2: previous podcast where I used to always go to Eastport Plaza because I could finish the game. And uh, there would get a huge uh, crowd gathered around because the Hydro Tubes were right across from that <laughs> arcade. So everybody would come over and watch me finish the game. And uh, I got to say, that was like a, one of my uh, Your crowning moments yeah, exam- in video game history. Ooh. For me. Yep. Glory <laughs> days, man. Glory <laughs> days. I'm sorry. So,
0: StarCom <laughs> sold $43 million worth of Dragon's Lair systems. And it also was noted for being one of the props on the Silver Spoons TV show, featuring Ricky Schroeder. But despite the early success... I was always jealous, of the, the,
4: the yeah. Were
0: you always jealous when you watched
3: that he had the dragons. I was jealous of had train. the I was jealous but of train. But he had like
2: several mm-hmm. arcade games in his room. like yeah. Up in his bedroom, he'd go in there and be like, God dang it.
0: <laughs> I want those. Anyway. But it did have some problems, mechanical problems. Um, the first games used the Pioneer PR7820 LaserDisc player, and these proved to be very unreliable and unsuited for the arcade environment. Right. Uh, Pioneer produced 25,000 of the units. Cinematronics purchased 5,000 of them and additional 5,000 for parts because the players had been discontinued.
2: I think they were mostly uh done for like embedded type solutions, like people wanted them for displays and stuff like that. And they so when Pioneer made them they weren't really like the consumer models, but uh but they were in such limited quantity that they had problems with them, right? And these were like yeah. Very early technology, so...
0: And they eventually got replaced by the LDV-1000 players, which are more reliable, but still not perfect. And one of the funny things, too, is because Dragon's Lair was a frustrating game and players would get annoyed that, you know, they'd hit the joystick at not quite the right time and the game wouldn't accept it, that it would cause people to kick the machine or bump the <laughs> machine, and that would cause the player to become even more out of alignment. <laughs> and Some people complained, too, about the limited gameplay because it was mostly reflexes and memorization so people like chris who knew how to complete the game that's right could just sit there and tie it up for an extended period of time and this would also cause the game operators to lose money because they were expecting those quarters to be pumped in. you know what they did to fix that though there's several things they did well one is that they added a new point when you had to put in more money
2: yeah that's true yeah halfway through the game even if you hadn't lost any lives it would say put an extra 50
3: cents in I was like, that's I was fantastic. like, I haven't
2: lost yet. I haven't died. Why am I putting an extra fifty cents
3: in? Well, and I seem to distinctly remember, depending on what arcade you go to, some of the machines, the the Dip- timing in which you could <laughs> hit yes, your button, that's the other thing or the move would be so much right. shorter.
2: Early on, you could like hit the if you knew it was coming up next, you just sit there window. and keep tapping it. You could just keep tapping it and then eventually go Dink, and it accept it right. And then later on, it was like you had to hit it at exactly the right moment. So and even if you hit it early,
3: it, wouldn't, it would it would that was locked in.
2: Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it was a difficulty setting on Dragon's Lair, and um, early on I, I finished it on easy difficulty, and then later I had to learn how to do it on a hard difficulty, and then I had to put an extra 50 cents, so they keep
0: trying to make it you know, harder and harder to finish.
1: It, it sucks to be you, Chris. Yeah.
0: So as soon as the artwork for Dragon's Lair was finished, Bluth and his company got to work on the artwork for the next Laserdisc game, which would be called Space Ace.
2: Right, so Space Ace was a space-based cartoon adventure. In fact, we just played it a bit before this... Uh, yeah, we were just playing it. It's great.
0: It, not only does it bring back memories, but it's still fun and hilarious to play today. Yeah. And in this one, uh, Space Ace,
2: is uh, his girlfriend Kimberly is kidnapped by the evil commander, Borf. Borf has this weapon called the Infanto Ray... Which is a great name for a weapon. That is a
0: great weapon. One of the best weapons ever.
2: And essentially, what it does is it can transform people into like this little nerdly, infantile kind of childlike version of themselves. themselves. Wimpy childlike version. Yeah. So, in this, it would transform Ace into the nerdy, I guess, the nerdy Dexter, right? So, there were several new design concepts that they introduced into uh, Space Ace. And uh, you could choose between three different difficulty levels. Um, at certain points in the game, the Energizer button would flash, allowing the player to transform Dex into Space Ace. And you know, like Dragon's Lair, Bluth's team did the voice acting for Space Ace. And in fact, Evil Commander Borf—that's Don Bluth. <laughs> did
1: you know that, Dave? No, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Although I'm sick of hearing his voice. Well, right I think it's not die, his
2: real voice. It's oh, like they, they, you know, they modded it, modded it a bit, yeah. but yeah. In contrast to Dragon Slayer, I guess uh, Space Ace has 35 separate sound tr- uh, effect tracks compared to 14 on uh, on Dragon Slayer. And the gameplay is much more frenetic, which to me that's why I never finished Space Ace. It seemed like it was too much. Like I could it, I could It's
0: very fast. We were just playing it and I realized all over again how quick you really have to be to play Space Ace. But I always liked it. Yeah. Uh, The LaserDisc with Space Ace was 50% faster, so that eliminated some of the pauses that you get in Dragon's Lair between scenes. And the thing is, though, by the time Space Ace was released, the fad for laser games was almost over. And so Space Ace only sold about $13 million worth. Yep. So in 1983,
2: also, we have uh, Astron Belt by Sega finally coming out. And uh, we talked about that they demonstrated it at AMOA in 1982, but decided it needed more work. Uh, it was released in Japan midway through 1983, um, but Bally Midway is the, is the company that acquired the rights for the game in the U.S., and they continued to fine-tune it, and they didn't release it again until late in 1983, so it came in after Dragon's Lair. That's why a lot of people think about Dragon's Lair as a first Laserdisc game, when really, Astron Belt was probably the first game, but Dragon's Lair was the first one to have a U.S. release. So,
0: so Astron Belt did have some more playability than Dragon's Lair in the sense that you move a computer-generated ship superimposed on a film playfield. So that's a lot
2: different than a choose-your-own-adventure type thing, kind of like what Woody was talking about, right?
0: Right. And you battle enemy spacecraft uh, across an alien landscape and through tight corridors of the mothership. And the ships are on the film, but their lasers are computer-generated graphics. And the film apparently is primarily from the Japanese sci-fi movie Message from Space, by Toei Studios, who are known for making the Godzilla movies, and while Sega ultimately released with better technology, they released after the Dragon's Lair boom had already hit the yeah, arcades. Yeah, which we talked about. So, did you guys ever play Astron Belt? I think I may have played it once or twice. Yeah, I, I remember it vaguely. Uh, did you? Where did you play Space Ace? Did you go back, to Space Ace. Um, Space Ace was in quite a few different arcades. Um, Dragon's Lair, I remember playing it over at Grand Central Bowl in, in Southeast Portland. Yeah. It was one of the places that had it. I played
2: Space Ace. There was like a bowling alley that had it. That was the only place I could find Space Ace to play. And yeah. it's like, I hated the smell of the bowling alley. And that bowling alley that had,
0: <laughs> the one I'm talking about, had several other Laserdisc games as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So I played Astron Belt as
2: well. I think they had that at Clackamas Town Center. But uh, But yeah, it was, after playing Dragon's Lair, it was just... I wasn't really into Astron Belt that much. I thought it was a pretty cool game, but it, you know... The laser craze, it kind of died a little bit, I guess, at that point.
0: Well, then there was a game called Mach 3 by a company called Milestar. And... uh And as we kind of talked about, the Laserdisc games are split into kind of two distinct groups.
2: You have the limited-decision story-based games like Dragon's and Space Ace, and the other, which is like video-footage-based shooting games, right? And this kind of falls into that camp, I guess.
0: So Mach 3 is Malestar, and they were a division of Gottlieb, and gameplay was a lot like Astron Belt, but instead of using, using movie visuals... Mach 3 had professionally shot aerial photography.
2: Yeah, I guess they used a special aerobatic plane with uh, cameras attached to its nose and belly to, to film the footage. I, do you remember this game at all? Um, no, I don't remember this uh, one. This game was cool. I like this one. So, yeah, the player controlled a superimposed computer-generated jet aircraft... And uh, you would choose whether you wanted to play as a fighter, and you would fight other planes, or a bomber, which is like high altitude bombing at aerial targets. Hmm. And so when you're going over this, like, laser disc, you know, rendered or, or, you know, drawn landscape, you would get targets that were denoted by this computer-generated, like, yellow box.
0: Actually, now that you say that, I do remember this game. So yeah. I remember
2: the little boxes popped in. Right! Like. It was yeah. cool, yeah. and it looked really good. And I played the sit-down version, which was even cooler. It had a really kind of cool controller. I remember as well when you'd play it. It was like a flight stick, and uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun to play. It was, uh, I guess it got, was number one player's choice in Replay Magazine. So there you go.
0: Now there's another game that we were also just playing before the show called Cliffhanger from Stern Electronics, and this was another animated game uh, like Dragon's Lair. It was licensed to Stern Electronics from Taito in 1983 for release in the U.S., I guess the story is that uh, cliffhanger's girlfriend Carissa is kidnapped by the evil count Drago. It seems like there's really only one storyline, right? Your girlfriend's kidnapped and you have to yeah. go rescue
4: her. <laughs> what else is there? That's all there is, right?
0: But the thing is this game is really a Japanese anime called Lupin the Third. Right. And so they took the animation from a nineteen seventy nine Lupin film called The Castle of Cagliostro. Wow, and, that's
2: a great pronunciation, Tom.
0: And they turned it into a game similar to Dragon's Lair.
2: Yeah, except for in this game, uh, you had a joystick and two buttons, one for your hands one for the feet. What's kind of cool about this game, too, is when you're playing it, it tells you if you're going to, at a certain point, when you need to use a joystick versus the... uh, the action buttons, which are the feet and hands. So unlike Dragon's Lair where you kind of have to guess when to do something, this one kind of prompts you.
3: Now, is that true? Because I sort of remember in Dragon's Lair that there would something, you knew when to do it so, because something on the screen would flash. Only certain scenes would have something uh, Yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah, yeah. In Space Ace 2, sometimes,
2: sometimes something on the screen the would wrong flash. thing would flash. Like <laughs> in Dragon's Lair, you go to the Drink Me room, the thing that says Drink Me flashes, and if you drink it, you die. <laughs> so they do that kind of throw you off sometimes as well. Gotcha. But in this game, it actually tells you you know use your joystick or use the action
0: it modes. doesn't tell you specifically which button to press right. or, or what, what direction but it tells you when an input is required which right. is good and if yeah. you die
1: twice it gives you the
0: yeah if you die twice in a row it tells you what you should have done so eventually you'll figure it all out right and the cool thing also about the
2: game is that you can continue from where, uh, like, if you're at a certain part, first of all, it's it's always the same order. Unlike Dragon's are which is completely random, this game always goes in in the same order, right? Because it's more of a story. It's more of a story, so exactly. So they
0: can't really mix up the order.
2: And if you die, you can continue from where you left off by putting more money in the game. So that's kind of nice, too. So if you have enough money, you're always going to finish, well, I, most people yeah. would be able to that's finish That's
4: how you. Chris finished the game. That's how I finished the <laughs> <game>. Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
0: So the graphics are not quite as good as dragons are, but they're still pretty nice. And uh, there was this scene where if you die, it would show the main character getting hanged from a gallows. And they made a mod, I guess, shortly after that to remove that from the game. Because the one we just played, you didn't see that, right? No, no, didn't see didn't it at show all. show that. And apparently, there's also a pretty gruesome ninja scene that's pretty hard to get through. I didn't get that far. Right. I've played the game like when I finished it in the
2: arcades, and uh, I think the scene they're talking about is there's these ninjas that come after you, and you attack them, and somehow they're like you close your window or something, and their fingers get stuck, and they it severs them, uh, and like you roll down your window, and the guys like messy, 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 and he's the main character, he's throwing the fingers out the window. Oh. Yeah, it's a great scene. That's I love gross. it. It's good.
0: Well, apparently they only sold 550 machines of this game, which I, must have been a huge disappointment.
3: Well, and I think that's amazing, because I remember this game being in an arcade. I remember playing See, it. See,
0: I played
2: it too. Where did yeah. you play it?
3: I, I think it was a bowling alley around here, but I'm not so, Sure.
2: I used to play this game, this was this very little tiny, you know, market where you'd go to buy beer if you weren't old enough. You know, like one of those places <laughs> kinda in the corner. What would it, you know about that? Yeah, I, nothing. But there was this little tiny market and it had nothing and it was, you know, looked like this really horrible place. And you go in there and they have a, they add a cliffhanger machine. Wow. And I played cliffhanger there and finished it. It was crazy that they had it. But when I think of 550, that's one of the places it was at. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. You know what's funny is I drove by the other day where I grew up, and that store is still there. Is the game still there? there? Is your (laughs) high score still on it? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be great if
0: it was. Well,
2: in 1984,
0: there was a game called Thayer's Quest from RDI Systems. And this was offered to operators as a conversion kit for Dragon's Lair and Space Ace cabinets. And it had a membrane keyboard for user input. And uh, this was the first realization of that Shadow on or whatever, the game we can't pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the project that also spun off Dragon's Lair. And uh, this was really a great attempt at trying to recreate the feel of a role-playing game in the arcades. So the storyline is that Thayer Alkenred, last of the bloodline of the Elder King, searches
2: five kingdoms in search of five relics which combine to form the Hand of Quoid. <laughs> Thayer's adversary, Sourceball the Twisted, assisted by the henchman the Black Magician,
0: seeks to use the Hand's power to take control of the land. Are you saying that there was no Kidnapped girl, Girlfriend? I don't think so. Wow, that but was it, a, an innovation then. Yeah, it was like this... No ro- Kidnapped Girlfriend.
2: Absolutely not. <laughs> Nothing I know of, Tom. and But it was like this role-playing game. But what's kind of interesting is the game was never finished. The game only includes the first three kingdoms. So there was going to be a sequel that never happened? I think that maybe they made a game later on PCs or something that was finally the last two kingdoms. But
3: Now again, I remember a game and Thayer sounds familiar but I remember a game that had a keyboard and yes. I thought that was the coolest thing ever and I can't remember anything about it. it was, but I remember I the where keyboard
2: was. where they used to have <laughs> it and uh, down near 122nd Wonderland oh yeah, yeah. Wonderland yeah. Thayer's yeah. Quest yeah Thayer's Quest right. around the corner and I used to go in there and play it all the time because it was only in, a nickel I think it was it was two, two nickels. Nickels, two nickels, probably, yeah. But uh, yeah, I used to play Fairy's Quester all the time. But the game was kind of weird, dude. It, like,
1: it would read stuff to you. It's like, choose A if you wanted this.
2: Choose B to <laughs> Choose C to do It I think like it would have the
1: same problem with uh, people uh, sitting on the game too long and not making enough money from
2: Well, it. I think it made you put money in like regardless oh. after i don't i don't really remember it that well but i know that one thing is that like it had headphone connections too so you could take in your headphones because uh, if it was loud in an arcade or whatever mm-hmm. but uh it also yeah.
1: sounds like the kind of thing that the the dream the dream machine of the guy who owned the company that's exactly and, what and, it was and it didn't really pan, pan out <laughs> yeah yeah but that was like his whole vision right, right was to right. do
2: this and uh he eventually went on even to make a dedicated laser disc system I think it was like the Halicon or something like that. I didn't write this down. in The notes just off the top of my head, but um, but it was like five hundred dollars or something like that for this laserdisc <laughs> system. And this is like the only game it came with. I don't <laughs> know if there were many other games. I think there was like a couple other games produced, like football or something like for it that were like uh, weird. But um
0: yeah, but isn't that the same as the Xbox 360 when it first came out? Five hundred dollars, only a few games. Yeah, yeah, but only you know only a few games. Period. <laughs> 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 Ever. <laughs> so. uh... Anyway. Also, that was five hundred dollars in like nineteen eighty nine money or whatever. Yeah. So, right. yeah. so this
2: game is pretty cool. <laughs> I've seen it many times at California Extreme. Uh, they have it there sometimes, but I just haven't played it that much. But uh, it's a pretty cool game. I wouldn't mind having one. I've seen conversion kits for sale on eBay, but uh, <laughs> so I can convert my Dragon Sword, but I haven't haven't done that. So.
0: So then in nineteen ninety one, there was a game called Time Traveler from Sega. And I remember this. This yeah, was I do too. crazy. It was yeah. a hologram. It yeah. was holographic laser disc. And it really was 3D. And it used this weird system with a parabolic mirror to project this hologram. And it was, it was crazy because it was a Dragon's Lair style game. You're in the Old West. You're this Marshall Graham. And... You're in a quest to rescue a princess kidnapped by an evil time lord. So they're right, getting
1: back, okay.
3: getting back to the kidnapped girlfriend theme. So I remember three things about this game. Uh, Did you played at Clackmas, first of all. I believe. Yes, it was in the center of yes. Clackmas when you first walked into the arcade. They had <laughs> so first of all, it was usually a big machine. It was huge. It was yes. gigantic. Okay. Yeah. okay, and then second was. It was re- the holographic part was really interesting, but there was no background. It was yeah, just like it was, like, yeah, it was exactly. so plain, so it was like you'd think, oh, it was super neat. And it reminded me of nothing so much of like in Star Wars the where R2-D2 shines Princess yes, Leia on the ground. Exactly. So you just see these figures standing there, but there was nothing around. Uh, the background was all like just uh, barely yeah. like maybe wireframe in the background or something.
2: I don't remember there was a background. I just remember some dude, like cowboy dude yelling at me. <laughs> it, what it what the was,
3: hell? I don't know what to it, do. It looked like a Movie screen like projected on the back, but it'll be like a still frame just projected out. But, that was but
0: it was 3D, dude. It but you know what's funny character- about that
3: is it was really cool looking. Yeah, have you seen anything like that? No, since then? I haven't seen Isn't anything that like weird? that
4: since.
0: It must be too expensive or something. But I mean, well, what-
3: okay, and that goes to the third thing I remember the most about this game <laughs> is that every place I've seen this, odds are it's out of order. Yeah, it was always out of order. <laughs> like <laughs> it, I, saw, I saw it working a couple times, but most times you see it, it's out of order. But don't you think it'd be
2: cool to have a game kind of like that? today like sure, wouldn't yeah. people think that's interesting sure well I, I can't believe nobody's really done anything with uh, holographic stuff
0: but... i don't know it's weird but it was color i remember it yeah, being it was kind color, of yeah. a
3: weird it was color, color but though. faded it out it was
0: kind of a washed out faded color like an old old movie or
2: something
3: yeah very much like the Ar- but, princess lady and rtd2 but it was still just like but you gotta say
2: one thing we didn't describe on it is holographic but it wasn't oriented like a typical arcade game it was like flat right it was like a yes. bubble that
0: came up in the yes. middle, and you were looking down You're on looking it. you were looking sort of down, three quarters down towards yes. it, <laughs> exactly, so that it could make the 3D effect. Yeah. I guess. So but... it was kind of weird.
2: It was like standing yeah. on top of this table kind of yeah. thing. Did you ever see that game? David? I never saw. It well, It was crazy. It was,
0: you know, the scene in Star Wars where they're playing the holographic chess. Yes, exactly. Like it, yeah. it was like that.
2: It was like that, but not color. quite as good. No, I it think was... it was better. I thought the color was better because really? in the holographic chess, it was kind of like. Kind of mono-colored, uh, right?
3: Yeah, it, but it was really faded out. I mean, even like those. That's because you are playing Wars. on a
0: crappy game. Because yeah. I remember mine, it wasn't that faded <laughs> out.
3: <laughs> well, it was a Clackamas, the same game.
0: But it? you're right, Chris. It's a mystery why this technology existed in 1991, and we've it's never weird. seen it again. It's never come back. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. The government yeah, yeah. must have covered like, this hey, up. That's too good. We're not I'm doing like, that no. again. So, yeah. You got to go back to, uh, and I've your never 2D seen games. one since.
2: No, I have. I even. did see one on Craigslist one day. One guy was selling <laughs> one, and I was like, "Oh, I got to get that!" But then he figured out how much it was worth, and he didn't. My sell guess
3: it. is it's just too fragile, and I doubt anyone's put in the investment to make it more robust. I'm sure yeah. they could do better now, but no one wants to go back and put money into it. Yeah. But
0: this game did make 18 million in sales. Wow! So
3: That's it, crazy. it
0: must have been pretty successful.
2: All right, so that kind of wraps up our list of Laserdisc games we remember. There were a lot more Laserdisc games that we didn't cover, like, you know, Dragons Lair 2, Us Versus Them, there's some others, but those are the ones I think
0: we remember most vividly. There's one that we didn't mention, which is called Firefox, and yeah. that made a big impression on me. It was based on a Clint Eastwood movie called Firefox, where well, you fly a plane. How that not make an impression? And, you know, I was obsessed with that game, and I don't know why, because it wasn't very good. Well, you were obsessed with Clint Eastwood, right? But Well, no, I wasn't, but... Smoking the Bandit? I think what it was is that the explosions, <laughs> the explosions looked so photorealistic because they were movie explosions and stuff. Yeah. It, it, just, Clint it just Eastwood wasn't smoking cool. the Bandit. That was Burt Reynolds. Was Reynolds.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but so Firefox, I remember that one.
2: All right, so uh, so I guess one thing uh, I was wondering when we put this together is you know why do you think the laserdisc craze was so successful? What what do you think kind of prompted it? The-
3: it was a step up. It was a new. lot like. Doom when it came out on the PC, it was like something no one people had never seen. It was so much further than the state of the art. it was a similar thing in the arcade when this came out it was so much neater than anything else out there right. at the time
2: But people rip on it. they're like there's no gameplay. it's just choose your own adventure brought to a uh, laser disc blah 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 blah
3: but
0: it's but yet it's fun because we were just playing it. <laughs> we were playing some of those games but, and but and they Dave are says fun. it's fun
1: only because it's nostalgic they well, it's I, I get frustrated watching I get frustrated watching watching Tom die all the time <laughs> and 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 I feel myself I don't think I would do much better and 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 it would be one thing if I was uh, feeding quarters in the machine yeah but but even nowadays when you don't even have
2: to do that I get frustrated but a lot of people do rip on the limited gameplay they're like you know these games
0: aren't you know there's they're not that innovative do you agree with that or. It is limited, but yet yeah, it's fun, and I think part of the fun in games like Dragons and *Space Ace* is seeing the art, seeing the new part of the story revealed when you get it right. Um, so it can be simple and be
2: fun. So I agree with that. I mean, I think it was fun, and maybe a lot of the fun we have now is nostalgic, like Dave said earlier. Yeah. But the thing is, I would say about that is, you know, did you know was it just a blip in time this whole Laserdisc craze, or did it actually help advance video games? I mean that's a question that I well, think is interesting. I, I do
3: think it it prevented it presented some novel new gameplay, and that's part of what still makes it good today. It's not just nostalgia; it's different than anything else out there. Now there's only so much they could do with it, so I you know I don't know that we'll ever go back to it. But I also think it helped the industry um, through some of those hard years.
2: Right, but I, I guess my question is: Do you think that having that type of graphics, or you know, rendered via LaserDisc or what have you? help people think about what great games graphically could be and kind of strive for
3: something better than yeah, what pac was at the do. time. Yeah, It was certainly inspirational. I think it,
0: it got people thinking in terms of having cinematic visuals in a game. Right. Of having visuals that could tell a story and, and have characters and not just little dots shooting each other. You know, um, I think it really did, at least in people's imagination, push forward what they were trying to achieve in
1: games. It probably saved a few arcades. Yeah. It kept them in business a few years longer. Yeah.
0: And it did
2: die off pretty quickly, but I think there was a, uh, an impact that you can see today. Like, even with Resident Evil 4, there's aspects of Dragon's Lair in there. Absolutely, so it's kind yeah. of funny.
0: And you know, when I first started playing Resident Evil 4, at first, I didn't like that aspect of it because I thought, oh, this is lame. Like, you've gone from this fully interactive scene into something that's like a step backwards to Dragon's Lair. But then the more I played Resident Evil, the more I liked it. And I realized that it was very clever the way they did that because what it did is it meant... That you could never relax and think, "Oh, I'm just going to watch a cinema. I get to take a little break." You always had to be on edge. You always had to be ready to press a button or do something, and so it kept the tension of the game constantly going. It was a brilliant thing to do. It's like a game made up of just cutscenes,
3: cutscene after cutscene.
0: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with that?
3: Yeah.
0: So, uh,
2: so the question is, how can you play these games today? So, a couple ways. Uh, One is obviously a digital leisure. Uh, makes DVD versions of these games. Have
0: you played those, Tom? Are you talking about the DVD ones? Yeah, yeah. I have. I've seen them. I haven't played them. I've seen, um, them, when, I've seen them in stores though, and DVDs, I was sort of
1: intrigued by it. When DVDs first came out, I think was one of the um, first things that got ported to DVD because you could have the. The DVD remote that had the select button, and just changed it yeah. to a joystick.
2: I've played it on the DVD versions, and it, it pretty much sucks. That's what I hear. Yeah, it's not very good at all. <laughs> Is
1: it because
0: of not having a joystick? Or?
2: Well, that's part of it, but there's just like a major delay, and it's not very accurate to the arcade game. You know the way it works and the way it, I mean the obviously the rendered parts are, or the you know the are actual the are like, the same, but just the way it controls and stuff just feels funny. There is a version, that apparently an HD version of Dragon's Lair that just got released, which is a PC-only version. I haven't played that one yet, hmm. though. So another way to play it is this thing called Daphne, which if you're familiar with MAME, which is a multi-arcade machine emulator, Daphne is essentially an emulator for all LaserDisc games, or at least a lot of the LaserDisc games. And, and it's named after the, uh, her- the heroine? In uh, in Dragon's so you've set this up, Dave. Uh, can you kind of explain I, what it is?
1: Well, um, it basically you get uh, well, not quite legit copies of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> so you get them in MPEG
2: format, MPEG format,
1: or you can actually control a laser disc player with right. with uh, with right. Daphne as so well. You, you get all that set up. So and you set up a PC in an old arcade box, yeah, um, and uh, get the right controller set up. Uh, it, and it, it's like you're playing the old game. Yeah, you can even play it on your PC, right? Yes, you don't of need the yeah.
2: arcade box. But yeah, you can connect it to an actual LaserDisc player, or like we say, you can get uh, MPEG versions of Dragon's Lair or these other games and play them from that and you can actually get use the digital laser dvd games and convert those to a format that's compatible with
1: Daphne right. which is probably the best way to go right hmm. and it's nice because uh, any lag you had with the uh, laser disc the original game had laser disc is gone because it's all coming right off your hard disk
2: right and another interesting thing uh, and i had this hooked up as well on on mine is you can control the old scoreboard as well, yes. so you can control oh. the laser disc player or the scoreboard from your PC. So, which is Cr- pretty cool.
1: Chris has actually restored a Dragon's Lair, and what you have
2: a PC in it now? No, no, it's- I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that was my idea. So, what yeah. happened is I set up Daphne, I got it all set up, I had the scoreboard, and I had it controlling the laser disc player, and I was playing it that way. And then I said, I just want to have the actual arcade hardware because I don't feel good enough about this. So, I went out and got all the actual arcade hardware. So and I'm how running. far have
1: you got? How, what yeah. do you mean? It, it, do you have it? It's all? It's all, yeah. It's we can, all together?
2: Yeah, it's all downstairs. We can go play. All right. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's sitting there. And uh, yeah, I, I, I was going to talk a little bit about the restoration. So um, I got a hold of a Dragon's Lair machine. Um, friend, Ron, at work, we, we started putting together and rebuilding this cabinet <laughs> uh, to do Dragon's Lair. And we got pretty far through. We had to like rebuild the sides and stuff because it, it was pretty hammered on. And it turns out we're almost done. And I saw on eBay that somebody was selling this baseball game. And I'm like, dude, that's a Dragon's Lair cabinet. (laughs) So I went ahead and bought it because I needed a piece to adjust the sound. Like the Hmm. sound controller in the Dragon's Lair arcade game. I didn't have that piece. So I said, maybe this machine will have it in it. Well, I get it. It's got that in it. And it's, like, perfect for Dragon's Lair. So I decided that I'm going to take what Ron and I started on. That's eventually going to be a Space Ace. And I took that game that I bought off eBay and converted it back to Dragon's Lair. Cool. And uh, it was funny because they had slapped side art all the way down the sides of this stupid baseball game. Mm -hmm. So I'm, like, taking that off real carefully with a heat gun. And as I'm taking it off, I noticed that it has the actual Dragon's Lair artwork underneath fully preserved. (laughs) So I was real careful when I took it off. And I, I, it has all the original artwork underneath. That's great. That's pretty cool. What a yeah. discovery. Cool. Yeah, so I restored it. I restored the control panel. Like I say, I went out and got all the hardware for it. I got. I have two laser discs of Dragon's Lair. But one of the problems that you'll find with uh, Dragon's Lair uh, laser discs these days is they suffer from a thing called laser rot
4: oh Have is you that
2: because it? the laser is
1: wearing it out or it's just it's old and
2: no it's essentially i guess the, when the first laser discs were made there was a problem with the gluing like air oh. getting in the glue process yeah. or whatever and eventually it'll rot and you'll see like artifacts on the screen or eventually it may not even play So two of these uh, discs have I have one that has minimal laser rod and another that might have a little bit, but it looks pretty good. But over time, they're eventually probably going to go away unless you keep them in a really uh, uh, well-air-conditioned room and stuff like that, which I do now. But what was kind of cool is um, a couple years ago, they came out with what they called the limited-edition laser disc, as it was 2002. A guy uh, got a hold of bonus uh, material that was used in Dragon's Lair, and talked to Don Bluth and got the rights to actually create uh, a set of laser discs, a limited edition oh, that wow. had this additional footage. And it's you know made with uh, modern technology, so it shouldn't suffer from laser rot. And they don't even have facilities to create laser discs anymore, and this was created right before they got rid of the ability to create them. Oh. Um, so I got a hold of one of those, and it looks awesome. <laughs> and they, a couple people from the Dragon's Lair Project, and it's DLP, or dragons-lair-project.com, uh, came up and made some enhanced ROMs for it, so you can play all these new scenes that weren't even in the original oh, wow. arcade game. And we talked about earlier that, um, you know, the LaserDisc had problems. Mm-hmm. So I don't have an uh, one of the older LaserDisc players. I got a newer Sony... And a guy uh, made what is called the high-tech card. And it essentially, you can put it on top of the arcade PCB and control a newer laser player, so it doesn't suffer from those problems. Well, and do you try well.
0: not to kick the machine when I you don't, die? Too? No, I, har-
2: I hardly <laughs> ever turn it on. It's like my crown jewel that sits in the corner and <laughs> okay. uh, I don't do much with it. So so yeah, there's a lot of ways to play them. Uh, you know, digital leisure is one way, but I would recommend using Daphne and playing it on the PC. That is a very realistic experience. Or, you know, going out and restoring an arcade game if you're, if you're into it. Cool. All right, well, that about does it for episode 10 of Twitch Asylum Video Game Radio. Thanks for joining us. And for those of you who'd like to be in a future podcast in the What We're Playing Now segment, go ahead and join the boards at twitchasylum.com form and tell us you want to be on the What You're Playing Now.
1: We out. Later. It's been real.